We are grateful to have our friends at Sleep Number sponsoring the Thrive Global podcast. The Sleep Number bed adjusts on each side, so it works for both you and your partner. Experience the Sleep Number bed exclusively at one of their 550 stores nationwide. Check them out at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. Hello and welcome to the Thrive Global podcast on iHeartRadio. My guest today is a true icon. She's a multi-platinum singer, songwriter, actor, producer, author, and activist, and she's 25 years old. Having made her acting debut at age 8, released her first album at age 16, it seems like Demi Lovato has already led many lives. But as she's grown up in the public eye, she's also grown in wisdom. And she's used that hard-won wisdom to inspire and help others around the world. After being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, instead of hiding it, she partnered with Be Vocal, a campaign devoted to getting people to speak up about mental illness and the stigma around it. She has also been a public role model, authentically chronicling her struggles with substance abuse and eating disorders. Having been bullied as a child, she has taken up the cause to protect other children. She was recently named a mental health ambassador for Global Citizen, an organization I love and I'm on the board of. And her sixth studio album, Tell Me You Love Me, was just released. She's a uniquely talented artist, but it's her courage, honesty, and willingness to use her own experiences to help others that make her a real star. Demi Lovato, welcome to the Thrive Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's start with your album. How is it going so far? The album is going really, really great. And I couldn't be more thrilled with how it's being received. You know, I just worked on an album for about a year and a half and put out music that I'm really proud of. And so for people to accept it and like it so much just means the world to me. And it's kind of interesting because almost exactly a year ago, you tweeted that you were taking a break from music and the spotlight and that you are not meant for the business and the media. Yes. And now one year later, here you are with this fantastic new album and a lot of media attention. So what changed? What changed was a lot. You know, my perspective on life changed. And um, I think I was in a place, I had been burnt out a little bit. I had been working really hard and... Um, I have let things get to me, like certain things on social media and um, and tabloids, things like that. And I don't know. I decided, you know, I'm going to take a break. And, and then I got nominated for a Grammy. And that changed everything for me because it made me feel like it felt like I was getting recognition for all the hard work that I had been putting myself through. And um, it also was kind of like I felt like a sign from God saying, Keep going. You know, don't give up. Keep going because this is what you're meant to do. I love that you say a sign from God because I say that a lot in my life. So mm-hmm. how is that relationship with God? How is it going? <laughs> And my relationship with God is great. Um, I have my own relationship with him, you know, and that's what's special about creating your own um, relationship with a higher power. To me, God is something that is bigger than than myself, bigger than all of us. And God is somebody that I pray to in times of need and um, and someone that shows me that life has a bigger purpose than, than just the material things in life. And it puts everything in perspective for me. Yes. I, 
I see it as something that gives life meaning, that uh, also gives meaning to challenges and uh, adversity, Mm -hmm. which otherwise are are harder to bear. Absolutely. I love the title of of the album, Tell Me You Love Me. So what's the origin? How, How did the title occur to you? Well, the title came from one of the tracks on the album called Tell Me You Love Me. And that song came to me about a year and a half ago. And um, I fell in love with the song when I heard it. I didn't write on it, but I fell in love with it. And I knew that I had to sing it whenever I um, listened to it for the first time. And it's one of my favorite songs, so I decided to name the album after it. And you described the whole album as being, at the same time, more mature and more raw. Mm -hmm. So do you think you're getting more raw as you're getting older? I think I'm definitely getting more raw and vulnerable as I get older, and I'm um, not afraid to say things as much as I used to be. You know, I used to kind of hold back a little bit, and I would tell my truth, and I would tell my story, but I would, you know, hold back, and now there's no holding back. I love the fact that you're using music to tell so much about your own story and your own challenges, like you don't do it for me anymore. Mm-hmm. which is about your own battles with substance abuse and um, and your own personal struggles or, or the song Daddy Issues, mm-hmm. um, which has to do more with being addicted to love with the wrong one as well as your issues with your father. So tell us a little bit about that, about how you use music, both to work through your own struggles but also to encourage those listening to work through theirs? I think music has a very interesting purpose when it comes to um, speaking to people. You know, it reaches to people in different ways. And I want my song to reach to people. I want my songs to give people things to think about. And I want them to be able to relate to my music. So when I write a song like Daddy Issues, which is a song about the relationship that I have with my birth father, having that abandonment, those abandonment issues from when I was a kid to how it affects the relationships I have in my life today, I know that there are people out there that can relate to that. And I kind of put like a fun, cheeky twist on it. Like it's not too serious and not too emotional. Um, It's kind of um, playful, but... You know, it's definitely a song that I think you have to be able to have gone through it to relate to it. And it kind of makes that issue not so serious, which is kind of relieving. I love that because I often take a playful attitude to my problems, which somehow diminishes them, Mm -hmm. even when something really serious uh, is addressed, like bullying in your song, Sorry, Not Sorry. Mm -hmm. But Sorry, Not Sorry has a very powerful message. How would you describe it? Well, I would describe Sorry, Not Sorry as a song that's kind of an unapologetic anthem for the haters. You know, anybody that's tried to bring me down, I sing the song to them. Anybody that can relate to this song who has bullies or has been bullied in the past, this is for them too. And the new documentary, uh, Simply Complicated. Yes. Is that a description of life? <laughs> is that a description of you as well as the title of the, of the documentary? What does simply complicated mean to you? Simply complicated means to me, it, it's my life. It's my world. It's me. Um, I am complicated in so many ways, but 
I like to simplify them as best as I possibly can through um, things that I know best, like music. And and yeah, my, my life is complicated, but I also have a very simple life compared to um, lots of people around the world. So I just like to, you know, I thought it would be a great title for the movie. No, I love the title. And also everybody is going to learn a lot about you in the documentary, but did you learn anything about yourself? What I learned about myself was that I guess I'm kind of fearless when it comes to sharing things on camera. There's not much that I won't talk about. And I talk about a lot in my documentary. So when you watch it, you'll see certain things that I've you know never talked about before or certain things that are challenging for me to talk about on camera, but I still do, and I still, I still don't let anything stop me from telling my truth. Yes, you actually talk about your love life more than you've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Was that liberating? It was definitely liberating. Um, it was liberating, and also um, it was nice to be able to explain certain things and certain situations that happened, and it was liberating, for sure. And uh, even though... This is a documentary where you go deeper um, into yourself. It's not your first documentary. Right. The first one was Beyond Silence, uh, where you followed three people suffering from mental illness, which is an issue you've been so outspoken about. And and I can't tell you how many people have talked to me about how uh, you've helped them mm-hmm. through helping reduce the stigma around the discussion of mental illness. What made it so important for you to talk about mental illness in this very raw and vulnerable way? It was very important for me to talk about mental illness and how you can live with it and have an incredible life because there's not a lot of people out there that are talking about that today. Um, When I was in treatment going through rehab when I was 18, my manager came to me and said, we can either talk about the reasons why you're in here and hopefully help somebody or or not talk about them at all. It's totally up to you. And I knew whenever he had said that I could possibly help somebody that that was what I wanted to do. And And I realized I could be a role model for people. And so when I had the opportunity, I definitely took advantage of it because Um, It's important that people have somebody to look up to, especially younger people that um, are going through things that they can't really explain or they don't feel like anyone understands. I want to be that for them. I want to be that voice and show them that it's possible to live life to your happiest and and healthiest, fullest ways. (laughs) And you actually now co-own the center Mm -hmm. where you receive treatment. And I hear that sometimes you even conduct sessions there. Yes, I do. So I actually will help out um, at CAST. CAST Centers is the treatment center that I co-own with Mike Baer. And he is somebody that helped me get sober. So it's kind of come full circle. But um, I do, I will conduct um, group sessions with some of the clients that are there and and yeah, I just make sure that I'm that I'm doing my part, you know, that I'm not just owning a treatment center, that I'm actually doing something. You've said that your openness about your struggles has created a very special relationship with your fans that a lot of artists don't have. How would you describe that special relationship? The special relationship between my fans and I is magical and it's beautiful and 
it's sensitive, but it's also strong. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And you described many times, I think very eloquently, how you can thrive, which is my favorite word, mm-hmm. um, with a mental illness, that it doesn't stop you from living a full life, from enjoying life, and from being funny. You're very funny. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so how does that work? Why are people so afraid of it? I don't know why people are so afraid of talking about their mental illness. Um, I think there's a lot of stigma around mental illness and Anytime where somebody is admitting that there is something different about them, it's hard for people to talk about. So, you know, whether you suffer from bipolar disorder or depression or anxiety, it's something that is sets you apart a little bit from other people. It makes you who you are, and that's okay. Um, but I think people take that in the wrong way, and they they, instead of use it for you know, creating conversation and making people aware of it, they kind of hold it back. And I, and I want people to know that when you create that conversation, the more you talk about it, the more it's going to become normal to, to deal with and to relate to. And um, people are going to be able to um, help you through it. So you can live a, a happy and healthy life with a mental illness. It's very possible. One of the things that has uh increased, you know, the incidence of depression and anxiety in our culture today all around the world is our relationship with technology and especially social media. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find it amazing how many people kind of get their self-worth from how many likes uh, they got on Instagram or um, the Facebook post, uh, and especially people in their teens or... um, early 20s, before they have completely formed their personalities. Um, Have you come across that phenomenon of uh, the growing mental illness problems, which are not genetic, but which are basically culturally induced? Well, I think mental illnesses, um, there are definitely times where it's genetic. and, um, And I think that the world that we live in today, it doesn't help that there are social media sites that tell you your self-worth basically through likes. Um, I think that it's important for teenagers and young people to remember that that's not what makes them beautiful. A like on Instagram is not somebody telling you that you're beautiful. It's somebody just liking your post, and that's okay. You Which know? takes under a second. It know? takes under a second, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I, I think that as long as we're continuing to have this conversation with younger people and reiterate to them that social media does not define them as people and um, and it does not define their self-worth, the, the likes on Instagram. As long as people, as we reiterate that to people, I think that, um, you know, we'll just have to manage our ways through life with social media because it's now a part of our culture. Absolutely. But you have 120 million followers on all of your social platforms. So you are like a pretty large country on your own. (laughs) (laughs) So you can have actually a big impact by helping people see social media, like some that can help them connect with people, but not as the way we earn our self-worth and validation. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's been so much research recently about um, 
the data here, which is that those who use social media very frequently are, believe it or not, more than two and a half times more likely to suffer from depression. It's wow. almost as though it disconnects them from real life mm-hmm. and the world. And instead of using it as a fun way to connect virtually, it becomes like a substitute. Yeah. A lot of times when you are, when I'm bored, what do I do? I reach for my phone instead of taking in the atmosphere and the sights around me instead of, um, and it's just become habit. It's not necessarily something that I even think about or that I'm conscious of. It's just something that I will do out of habit. And um, I've made it a point recently to start knitting. And so instead of reaching for my phone, I'll actually knit. And I, I didn't bring my knitting stuff with me today. But um, yes, I will make you a scarf. And <laughs> um, But yeah, it's something that... It's so casual and so common to just pick up your phone when you're bored or just to check your phone and and see if anybody's reached out to you, if you're needed. You know, there's some sort of validation that you get when you check your phone as well as checking social media. So, yeah, it's definitely, I think, causing a problem with people and how present they are in the world around them. Exactly. And what's interesting about knitting, incidentally, thank you for the offer of the scarf. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) Any color will do. Okay. (laughs) But uh, it's um, knitting allows you also to just have your thoughts and let your mind wander. And whenever I read about um, scientists or really creative people, I'm just reading a biography of Leonardo da Vinci. They really had time to let their minds wander and Mm -hmm. be curious about things. And, And being bored is almost like part of it. And right now we have so much information, data, stuff coming at us. Giving yourself that little time not to be um, at the other end of data and information is kind of such a little holiday. Yeah, it is. It's nice. Yeah, so you're having a little knitting holiday. I love that. Yes. Maybe I'll take up knitting. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Actually, in 2016, you quit for a while. You quit social media for a little while. Yeah, Um. I took a break. I've taken several breaks throughout my career, but I I took a break because I just, I feel like sometimes social media can become overwhelming, especially when you have so many followers, they're saying so many things to you and, and it's hard to separate negative and positive. And when it becomes that mesh of both, it's time to take a break and say, you know what, I'm good for right now. I'm just going to post things that are absolutely necessary to post, but I'm not going to spend all of my time on it. Okay, we're now going to take a quick break to share a sleep tip brought to you by our sponsor, Sleep Number, because a good night's sleep is the foundation for thriving. Today's tip is to make your bedroom a sanctuary for sleep by keeping it dark and cool. How cool? Probably cooler than you think. Studies show that the ideal temperature for a restful night is actually in the mid-60s. So turn on that AC, open the windows, or crank the fan, and use blackout shades or an eye mask to minimize light, which can disrupt your sleep pattern. And stay tuned for my quick chat with Pete Bills, the Vice President of Sleep Science and Research at Sleep Number, at the end of this interview. I love the idea of taking a break. Sometimes it can be taking a break during the day. You know, I'm just going to have a meal with friends and I'm going to put my phone away. 
mm-hmm. or I personally never have my phone by my bed. We have to talk about that when oh, I sleep. Wow. Do you sleep with your phone? I sleep with my phone next to my bed. But sometimes if you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or whatever, be honest, do you sometimes look at it? Sometimes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I do, sometimes. Because we all do. It's like we're all a little addicted mm-hmm. and um, a little curious about who has texted or posted. So I'm going to give you a little charging station that looks like a phone bed. And okay. you can put it outside your room. And I put my phone there before I go to sleep. And I, I put it under the blankie and I tuck it in and say good night. <laughs> And then I see it in the morning. It's like a little ritual. I kind of believe in rituals to help us start new habits. Right. Because otherwise our old habits can get in the way of us being fully recharged when we wake up. I think that's a great idea. And have you now found a better way to deal with the negative social comments that everybody gets? Uh, What's your technique? Um, my technique, I wouldn't say that I necessarily have a technique. I think for me, it would just be not giving the negativity too much power. You know, I think when you give it power, then you start to believe what they say. And if you don't give it power, you don't believe what they say, and therefore it can affect you. Yes, and being a woman and a public figure, does that make uh, dating hard in the age of social media? I think it definitely makes it difficult um, to date. But I think what makes it more challenging is being in front of the spotlight um, or being in the spotlight is what makes it challenging to date as a woman and public figure. And somehow being able to separate the private woman from the public figure. Right. That can be challenging at times. And as a performer, um, from your point of view, how does it feel to be always looking at your fans, sometimes through their phones? Like, you know, <laughs> so many people now in concerts mm-hmm. um, are really experiencing the concert through taking pictures or videos of the concert. I was at the Time 100 dinner when you sang, and I mean, people literally stood up and had their phones in front of their eyes, and I thought, wow, I'm just going to listen to her. Uh, <laughs> and watch her. And well, I found you. there's something powerful about just watching and listening. And right. I have a feeling that most people never look at the video they take. Right. <laughs> I learned that because I would do that at concerts too. And then I realized I never go back and watch the video. Right. I, I might post it on Instagram or post it somewhere, but it lives there for a short time and then I'm over it. You know, so you might as well just listen, like you said, and, and thank you for taking the time to listen and and watch the performance because I think that's something a lot of people forget to do nowadays. Yeah, and I was even thinking that maybe we can do something where you say, you know, for the first 15 minutes, take pictures, take a video, and then your team can post a great video for everybody to post, which I'm sure will be more professional (laughs) than what people do, and then just listen and watch. I just think we'll create again that community of experiencing something together mm-hmm. and being like 100% present, which is so powerful. Right. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic okay, idea. Okay, maybe we'll plan it. We'll plan it together, <laughs> yes. We'll plan it together yes. and create a new way to be fully present, you mm-hmm. know, as we you're experiencing a concert. 
In your own life, how do you unplug from technology and social media and your phone? What, what are your go-to techniques? Well, one way that I unwind is I do love, like I said, I love knitting. Um, <laughs> but I, I do love just relaxing and whether it's getting a massage or even if it's watching a little TV, you know, something that is just taking my mind off of life and just a little bit of an escape can't doesn't hurt anybody you know oh absolutely not is sleep an escape sleep is definitely kind of an escape um when you use it in a healthy way i get enough sleep every night and i make sure that i also work out every day and that's something that is very therapeutic for me as well i kind of get an escape when i work out you know i'm not thinking about my work or or what's going on in my personal life. I'm just there to train, and um, and it really gets me outside of myself. So, um, yeah, it, it helps a lot. And so how many hours of sleep is enough sleep for Demi? I would say eight. eight Fabulous. Hours. That's my number, too. Oh, good. And scientists say that unless you have a genetic mutation, which about 1.5% of the population does, and they do great on three or four hours, the rest of us need <laughs> seven to nine. Yes. Somewhere in between. So mine is eight, too. Okay, good. So you're an eight-hour girl as well. Yes. And uh, in terms of workout, do you have a favorite? I like to train mixed martial arts. And um, so I do that um, several days a week. And I also will do strength and conditioning. So I'll, like, lift weights and, and do cardio. So I do a bunch of everything. And a little yoga? No yoga, no <laughs> yoga. I, it's a little too calm for me. <laughs> what about meditation? Meditation, I can, I can get down with some meditation. <laughs> when you travel, you know, you travel a lot. How hard is it to keep to these healthy routines of working out and getting eight hours sleep when you're on the road? It can be difficult at times. For the most part, it's we keep it on a pretty tight schedule of getting the rest, getting the workout, and then doing the work that I need to do the next day um, or that day. So um, it can be a tight schedule, but for the most part, it's pretty easy. Um, we don't have too much trouble trying to stay on track. So you kind of prioritize it. That's yeah, the secret, right? Definitely and, prioritize it. Yes, and I then think, work things around it. Yes, definitely. I think that, for me, is the secret travel hack, prioritizing. It's like when mm -hmm. they tell you on airplanes, put your own oxygen mask on first. Yes. And then everything else is easier. Yes. But do you have like a bedtime routine? Well, I always brush my teeth, wash my makeup off, and I get into bed and I just kind of relax and then I go to sleep. So nothing too special. I have one. What? Mine is, especially if I've been stressed, having a really long bath oh, with Epsom nice. salts. And I keep all my makeup removers in the bathtub. Mm. So then you can prolong it by taking your makeup off and soaking in the bath. And I find it just totally slows down my brain. Oh, yeah. And then it's much easier to relax when I go to bed. So try it. Okay. And beautiful silk lingerie. Okay. Do you like beautiful um, I night like dresses or you like to sleep with big nothing? Big cotton t-shirts. Oh, you like big cotton? Okay, as <laughs> yeah. long as you don't wear them in the gym. No, I don't wear them in the gym. <laughs> because otherwise your mind gets confusing messages. Are we going to work out or are we going, <laughs> or yeah. are we going to sleep? So 
One more thing about your love life. This six-year relationship at a very young age, an age when most people are just dating around, do you recommend it for young people, long relationships? I think that when you find something that's very special to you, don't deny yourself of the opportunity. But it is important to remember that you are young and you have a lot of life ahead of you. So with that in mind, make your future decisions Choose them wisely. Mm-hmm. And I love also how you you talked about being single while you were uh, doing this latest album and how that made it different. Um, was it like that you are less distracted and more focused? Yeah. I was more focused, less distracted. And whenever I had downtime, instead of going off and being with my boyfriend or doing anything like that, I would go to the studio. And so I had all this extra time in the studio that, great things came out of. So it's great to be reminded of that when people are sort of longing to always be with someone that there are also advantages. Yes, <laughs> when you're single. Are. There are perks. <laughs> and I'd like to end to talk by talking a little bit about your work with Global Citizen because I love Global Citizen. I love Hugh Evans, the mm-hmm. founder and head of it and I've loved being on their board. So especially because giving back is such a big part of a thriving life. So tell me about your work. How did you get involved? Um, I know you've done amazing things in Kurdistan. What has it meant for you? Working with Global Citizen has been quite the journey. Um, we've, I've performed for them several times, and um, I've been able to get to know the people there. Hugh Evans is somebody that I've gotten to, I've gotten the chance to get to know, and Um, and we decided to partner up with Save the Children, and we created the HEART program, which is something that will take the arts and education to refugees and displaced families in um, in Iraq. Which is amazing, and um, it's incredible to see you giving back in that really profound and urgently needed way. Thank you. You once said that I know my past will always be a part of me, but I don't want it to define me. Uh, Your fans draw such inspiration from the journey you've let them in on. How do you balance that, learning from your past, but not wanting to be weighed down or defined by it? Well, I think that there's a difference when it comes to being defined by something and defining yourself as the person you are today. The person that I am today has been molded from my past experiences, but I don't let those past experiences determine the person that I am today. It doesn't define me. And I think that there's a difference. I think that it comes with growth and maturity. I think that it comes with understanding and lots of wisdom. And is there something special that you want 2018 to bring? I would love for 2018 to bring um, a world tour. A world tour. (laughs) I'd love to go on a world tour. I would love to create more incredible projects and things with Global Citizen. I think being able to live my dream while um, helping others is something that's very important to me. So I'd love to do both of those things. Thank you so much, Demi, for being our guest and for all you're doing in the world. Oh, thank you. Now we're going to take a minute to talk with Pete Bills, the Vice President of Sleep Science and Research at Sleep Number. 
So often people ask me, should I wake up early and work out or stay in bed and get enough sleep? I know we would both give them the same answer, but let's hear the science. Well, the science is pretty simple. If that um, getting up early is cutting into your seven to eight hours of sleep, then stay in bed. You absolutely want to do that. Uh, Many, many research projects have shown that curtailing your sleep to get more done in your workout is counterproductive in a couple of ways. One, when you're tired, when you're working out, your workouts are very inefficient. You hit areas of exhaustion before you should, so you quit earlier and your workout is inefficient. And then also, um, when you're tired, later in the evening, um, your body has high levels of cortisol, which are very, very counterproductive to recovery and so forth. So it eliminates um, the, uh, the proficiency of your body to recover from a good workout. And you don't see the results you want, and so you end up overtraining. I, I run marathons. I've seen so many people overtrain because they don't see the results that they get, and it's all because they're not sleeping enough. Be sure to subscribe to the Thrive Global Podcast with iHeartRadio on your favorite podcast app. And stay tuned to thriveglobal.com and iHeartRadio for updates on upcoming episodes. And in the meantime, go to thriveglobal.com for tips to start thriving today. We are grateful to have our friends at Sleep Number sponsoring the Thrive Global Podcast. The Sleep Number bed adjusts on each side, so it works for both you and your partner. Experience the Sleep Number bed exclusively at one of their 550 stores nationwide. Check them out at sleepnumber.com slash thrive.